Art Matthews shot himself, loudly and messily, in the centre of the parade ring at Dunstable Races. I was standing only six feet away from him, but he did it so quickly that had it been only six inches, I would not have had time to stop him. He'd walked out of the changing room ahead of me, his narrow shoulders hunched inside the khaki jerkin he'd put on over his racing colours, and his head down on his chest, as if he were deep in thought. I noticed him stumble slightly down the two steps from the weighing room to the path, and when someone spoke to him on the short walk to the parade ring, he gave absolutely no sign of having heard. But it was just another walk from the weighing room to the parade ring, just another race like a hundred others. There was nothing to suggest that when he'd stood talking for two or three minutes with the owner and trainer of the horse he was due to ride, he would take off his jerkin, produce from under it, as he dropped it to the ground, a large automatic pistol, place the barrel against his temple, and squeeze the trigger. Unhesitating. No pause for a final weighing up. No goodbyes. The casualness of his movement was as shocking as its effect. He hadn't even shut his eyes, and they were still open as he fell forwards to the ground, his face hitting the grass with an audible thud and his helmet rolling off. The bullet had passed straight through his skull, and the exit wound lay open to the sky, a tangled, bloody mess of skin and hair and brain, with splinters of bone sticking out. The crack of the gunshot echoed round the paddock, amplified by the high back wall of the stands. Heads turned searchingly, and the busy buzz and hum of conversation from the three deep railside racegoers grew hushed and finally silent as they took in the appalling, unbelievable, indisputable fact that what remained of Art Matthews lay face downwards on the bright green turf. Mr John Brewer, the owner of Art's prospective mount, stood with his middle-aged mouth stretched open in a soundless oval, his eyes glazed with surprise. His plump, well-preserved wife toppled to the ground in the graceless sprawl of a genuine faint. And Corinne Keller, the trainer for whom both Art and I had been about to ride, went down on one knee and shook Art by the shoulder, as if he could still awaken one whose head was half blown away. The sun shone brightly. The blue and orange silk on Art's back gleamed. His white breeches were spotless, and his racing boots had been polished into a clean, soft shine. I thought, inconsequentially, that he would have been glad that, from the neck down at least, he looked as immaculate as ever. The two stewards hurried over and stood stock still, staring at Art's head. Horror dragged down their jaws and narrowed their eyes. It was part of their responsibility at a meeting to stand in the parade ring while the horses were led round before each race, so that they should be both witnesses and adjudicators if anything irregular should occur. Nothing as irregular as a public suicide of a top-notch steeplechase jockey had ever, I imagined, required their attention before. The elder of them, Lord Tyrold, a tall, thin man with an executive mind, bent over Art for a closer inspection. I saw the muscles bunch along his jaw, and he looked up at me across Art's body and said quietly, Finn, fetch a rug. I walked twenty steps down the parade ring to where one of the horses due to run in the race stood in a little group with his owner, trainer and jockey. 
Without a word, the trainer took the rug off the horse and held it out to me. Matthews, he said incredulously. I nodded unhappily and thanked him for the rug and went back with it. The other steward, a sour-tempered hulk named Ballerton, was, I was meanly pleased to see, losing his cherished dignity by vomiting up his lunch.